this guy claims to be a king? Look at him. Where are his loyal subjects to defend him? Where is his army to rescue him? He calls himself a king? Oh, sure, he's wearing a crown, but it's not a crown of gold and jewels. It's a crown of thorns that's piercing into his head. Oh, and there's that sign above him that says, this is the king of the Jews. But, but we all know that that's Pilate's last insult towards him and a, another way to stick it to the Jews. This is a king hanging there, helpless, bleeding, suffering, dying. And he's not calling down curses on those who are doing this to him. He's not talking about, about the revenge he's going to get, but he's talking about forgiveness, how he's forgiving those who are doing this to him. This is a king, really? I wonder if these are some of the thoughts of that criminal hanging next to him as they were nailed there. And before he was able to ponder too long, he noticed something unusual there at the cross. The religious leaders were gathering there. And that was unusual because religious leaders wouldn't come outside of the city to witness crucifixions, but there they are at the foot of the crosses, maliciously laughing, sneering, saying loud enough for everybody to hear, oh, he saved others. If he really is the Christ, if he really is the Messiah, the Chosen One, why doesn't he save himself? Even the soldiers got in on the act. Roman soldiers who, who have no skin in the game, Roman soldiers who are just there doing their job, say, save yourself if you're really the king of the Jews. And it's not here in Luke's account that we're looking at this morning, but it is in Mark's account that for a while, both of the criminals were insulting Jesus. They were both saying to him, you're a king? You're the Messiah, supposedly? Then why don't you save yourself and us? Come on, show your power. That can't be too hard for you to do if you are the Messiah. If you're really a king, save yourself and us. Jesus getting it from all sides. From those religious leaders from the soldiers, from the criminals hanging next to him, insults and mockery and ridicule. And we think as we sit here, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, if I was there that day, I would have told those Jews to shut their traps and go home, right? I mean, come on. Don't you realize who this is? Don't you realize who you are rejecting, who you are crucifying? We'd like to think that that's what we would say and do. And we may not outright verbally insult and mock and ridicule our king like they did, but ours is much more subtle, much more hidden. Right? We, we may put on the veneer, the impression, give the impression to other people around us that Jesus is king of my heart and king of my life, but our lives often show what? How insulting is it to Jesus? 
when he gives us 168 hours in a week, and, and, and maybe we'll give him one hour to spend with him and his word. How mocking is it when Jesus says the way to, to show love for your children is to let them come to me and not to hinder them because, because I want them to know me and to, and to believe in me. And yet, what do we do with our children and grandchildren? We get them so busy with all these other activities. We plop them down in front of screens. Right? We run them here and there and, and make, get all these things and activities in their life, but neglecting the one thing that they absolutely need the most. Time with their Savior. How insulting is it to Jesus when he tells us that, that the way for husbands to care for their wives is to love them just as Christ loved the church and for, and for wives to, to submit and respect to their husbands, but yet there's nothing but selfishness and living for me and what I want. How insulting is it to Jesus? What a mockery do we make of his word when we hear him say, have compassion on the poor and the needy and those who are hurting and we just pass by with a blind eye, just concerned about ourselves. What a mockery we make of God and his word. What an insult it is to Jesus when we know that God gives us everything. Everything we have in this life is a gift from him, and yet, what does he get in return? Not our first fruits, which he says, I want to receive from you with a cheerful heart, but, but the bottom of the barrel, maybe. What a mockery we make of our Savior, of our King, when we say that he rules our hearts and our minds and our lives, but really if we look at our lives, it would show something much, much different. And it doesn't take you real quick to realize. It's not if I have insulted Jesus, if I've made a mockery of him and his word, but, but how often and how much. And quickly realize why we see what we do in our lesson today. Why he's hanging on that cross. Why he's suffering and dying. That criminal on that cross next to him may have felt a little bit better after he threw his insults at Jesus, right? I mean, that makes us always feel a little better for it. A little bit, right? But it probably didn't take very long for him to realize as he's suffering and dying that he's got his own sins to take care of. And there's nothing he can do. Right? He's dying for some sort of crime that he's committed. But maybe through his mind is going, all the other things he has done in his life, all the evil choices he has made, all the people he has, he has hurt, all the lies that he has told. Right? And it's just a stack of this mound of sins. And he knows that at any moment he's going to have to face God. And what can he say? What can he do? Right? Maybe earlier in his life, he's like, yeah, I know I've got to get my life right with God, and I'll do that at a later time, but there's no later anymore. At any moment, he's going to be standing face to face with a holy God and have to answer for what he's done. 
not just for this crime that he's being punished for on that cross, but for all of the times that he has broken God's law. And maybe this criminal reaches this point of realizing, I have nothing. I am hopeless. There's nothing I can do. It's too late to make myself right with God. It's too late to earn eternal life with him as he faces his judgment. As he faces the reality that death and the end and eternity for him are coming. And maybe hopelessness overwhelms him. And this might sound strange, but I hope you've been there too. I hope you've been at that point when you realize there's nothing you can do. That you can't make up for your sins. And, and unlike this guy, you may not know exactly when your death is going to come, but you know that you will have to face a holy God when your life ends or Jesus comes back. That you will have to answer for all the sinful choices you have made and for all the lies that you have told and the people you have hurt. You will have to answer to God for these things. And I hope you've been at that point of hopelessness to realize there is nothing I can do to make myself right with the holy God. But then also, that just like this criminal, you know exactly where to turn in your hopelessness. That criminal turns to the man in the middle to Jesus. And from the other side, he hears that man, the other criminal, say this. He says, the criminal cries out again, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And maybe it's at this moment that the Holy Spirit enters this man's heart. Maybe it's at this moment where he really comes to realize what's going on here. And his eyes are open to see what is really happening on that hill. Messiah. Maybe that name Messiah struck a chord with him. Messiah, the, 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 that's the, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that God had promised to send for thousands of years to come and to make things right. To come and save his people. This is the guy, isn't it? The guy that I've been hearing about. This is, this is the one that, that, that I've heard the rumors about that has, is saying he is the Messiah. The one who says that he is a king. The one who says, I came to save, to seek and to save what was lost. And maybe this criminal remembers back to the days of his youth in the synagogue when he heard those Old Testament scriptures and he remembers those passages from Isaiah that said that he would be despised and rejected by men, that he would be a man of sorrows, that he would be stricken, smitten, and afflicted, that, that he would be pierced for transgressions and crushed for iniquities, and, and the Lord would lay on him the iniquity of everyone, and that through all of that, God would bring sinners peace with him? Could this be? Could this be the Messiah? 
dying for the sins of the world, dying for my sins right next to me? In this realization, in this opening of his eyes of faith, with this working of the Spirit on on who this Jesus really is, this criminal responds to the other one. He says, Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We're, We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. What he's saying to this man is, you know what, we deserve to be up here. We committed crimes. We are guilty. We deserve death for what we've done. This man is innocent. You cry out, save us? Don't you realize that's exactly what he is doing? He is saving us. It's the innocent one dying for the guilty. It is the holy one dying for the unholy. It is God himself suffering hell, paying for sin, overcoming death for sinners like us. And then the moment of truth, right? With absolutely nowhere else to turn, the man turns to Jesus and is just hoping. Maybe just hoping for just a little bit of mercy. Right, he, he just insulted him. <laughs> he just was mocking him too. Right, another sin that's weighing on him. Maybe there's a little bit of forgiveness left for me. And he asks for the smallest thing he could. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The smallest thing he could ask Jesus, when you, when you get back to heaven, when you go back to your kingdom, when you're done here fulfilling the work that I know and believe you came to do to save sinners from their sin and from death and from hell, when you go back to heaven, Jesus, just remember me. Just remember this poor guy who was hanging on a, on a cross next to you. And Jesus' answer to him reveals that he would do more than remember him. He says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus knew that this guy could not get down off that cross and go make things right in his life. He couldn't go and show him how good of a Christian he would now be. But he says, Simply because of your faith, Your simple, beautiful statement of faith. Remember me, Jesus. Today, this very day, you will be with me in heaven. You will be with me forever. On that day, on that hill, In that criminal's heart, the king began his reign. And the kingdom of heaven was opened to him. He knew his king, Jesus, who was suffering and dying and defeating death for him. Just feet away, 
and he believed and he knew and paradise was his. And friends, this is your king too. This is your king. That no matter what your past, no matter how many sins you have done, no matter how evil the choices you've made and how many people you've hurt and how many times you've insulted or mocked Jesus and his word, see your king dying for you. See your king taking the punishment for all those sins on himself. This is your king. The one who did not stay dead on that cross, but, but rose again, who is risen, who is ascended, who sits at, on that throne in heaven and reigns and rules all things for your good so that you can know that he will never forget you, but always remember you. This is your king. This is your king who wore a crown of thorns and shame for you. Who willingly hung there helpless for you. But now raised again in glory. Wearing a crown of glory so that you can be assured to have full confidence that someday you too will wear a crown a crown of life by his grace. This is your king. And yes, he could have stopped it at any time. He could have called on an army of angels to rescue him that day. He could have saved himself and those criminals off of that cross if, if he chose to do so, but he couldn't. Because too much was at stake. Your eternity was at stake. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly the suffering that he would have to endure for us. Right? And as he cried out in that Garden of Gethsemane, right, Father, if there's another way, let, it, let this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And the Father said, no, this must be this way. And that king set out resolutely for that cross. And he endured its scorn and its shame and that punishment to defeat your enemies so that the kingdom of heaven might be opened wide to you so that he could assure you that someday you will be with him in paradise. This is your king. Behold him. Worship him. Praise him for what he has done. Cling to him through this life. And wait for him to come to take you home. Amen.